0: everyone, we're back with the Arts Equator Theatre Podcast. I'm Matt Lyon and I have with me Nabila Said. Hello. And of course, Naeem Kapadia. Hi everyone. We've got two recent play slash events slash video slash whatever the hell is theatre these days that we're talking about and we'll be leading with... Okay, we had a debate about whether we were going to do this just now and we said we weren't, but we are. Knock knock.
1: Who's there? Take it away, Nabila. <laughs> um So the first play we're going to talk about is Who's There by the Transit Ensemble. This is a device production uh, made for the virtual space, which explores identity, race relations, politics, and really the new normal of life lived through um, screens and social media. So this was made in the span of two months, actually, um, Mm. by a new ensemble that's intercultural, international, based in Singapore, Malaysia, and the US. And it was created and presented entirely online so the directors for these were sim yen ying who i think is based in singapore and uh-huh. new york as well as elvin tan but outside of the, the necessary stages auspices um oh.
0: I must compliment you on the use of the word auspices there. (laughs) That makes me very happy. Oh, right. Sorry, carry
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this is essentially like a really well put together, well made snippets of different things and conversations that are coming out, right? About like race and Mm. and, and, and things. And we were talking about how it was very, very
2: topical, right, Naeem? Absolutely. And I think of all the plays I've seen in this, you know, the last couple of months, it's something that truly captures the zeitgeist of how we are thinking about issues, the political issues that are playing out and the number of these themes that was embedded in the narrative was just really quite remarkable. So we had obviously the Black Lives Matter and you know George Floyd protests and all of that discontentment that was being played out. We had the idea of privilege in both yeah. the US but also in Singapore with the idea of Chinese privilege, the idea mm-hmm. of the bumiputra Putra policy in Malaysia. We even had a reference to Singaporean politics with Raisa Khan, who was the first or youngest opposition politician mm. in Singapore as well. Um, you know, So there were all these themes that were just so rich and topical that I think it was impossible to watch it and not feel really a true sense of implication and being brought into um, to all the issues at the moment.
0: Yeah, and it's remarkable that they managed to put all that together so quickly and so intelligently. And it wasn't homogenous, but it Apart from maybe a couple of scenes, which we might talk about later, which maybe didn't fit in quite as well, everything felt like it fitted together. But it was such Mm. a spiky collage. Like, you know, it's made out of Mm. little bits of glass or something. If you touch (laughs) it, you're going to cut yourself. But it's got all these interesting reflections and these colors. And it works together very, very well.
2: Yeah. and. I think it was nice because it just wasn't so homogenous, as you said. So there were these conversations, I think a lot of them were between two characters. And for example, there was one between a Malaysian academic and an African-American student who were kind of arguing about issues like colorism and how that is something that should really not be countenanced in today's society. And it's sort of pragmatism Mm. versus principles almost, that kind of argument. Mm. And then there was, I think, another altercation between a Singaporean-Chinese activist Mm. and an Indian-Singaporean teacher who is a bit dismissive about her. Um, And, you know, there were just these powerful interactions, but then also... Spliced throughout the narrative, and I think it's important to mention there were very, very powerful interactive elements which for me as an audience member especially someone consuming content online really drew me in so there were polls that we the audience uh, were asked to participate in and you know these started off with fairly innocuous broad questions like is there systemic racism mm. and based on the initial responses which we do get in real time it felt like oh mm. you're preaching to the choir yeah. very much a left leaning crowd because if and- you
0: ask a leftish crowd systemic racism exists and it was like 97.3 right exactly yeah. yes it does
2: but then later on the questions veered into a slightly more uncomfortable territory where they were like is the choice of your spouse a political statement mm. and you know then you're sort of beginning to really question mm. what exactly race and politics means to you personally so I think they really had that calibration done quite well because you can't just answer it without really thinking Mm. closely about these issues and
0: structurally clever in such an episodic play because it does give you that kind of brechtian provocation but it also seems in a way that doesn't patronize you to underline the themes of the play Mm. i was really impressed by that and its use because imagine doing that live in the theater you stop the play and an actor asks the audience one of those questions. It'd be uncomfortable, pointless, and unintentionally comical. But that really works in this format and introduces the theatrical Brechtian sense of provocation in a very useful way.
1: Yeah. And I feel that in terms of how... Theater is being made today. Like this one, really made me think about modes of production of theater. Mm -hmm. So the polls was one of the ways that they used the functionalities of Zoom. They did a lot of renaming of names really well. Um, What do you mean by that? Sorry, I don't know if you remember, but there was one where the names became like poetic. It became like the voice of the voiceless, and you heard like a someone would be singing. Do you all remember?
0: Like on Zoom when you get the little, who is this speaking in the bottom corner. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Yes, you're right.
1: Yeah, yeah, the renaming of names. Um, I think also in the way that the sound designer actually came on screen at some point, like, I think they really played with Zoom in a way that, like, I was. I mean, it didn't feel like they were just doing it for the sake of doing it. I felt that like it really um, was se- like seamless in terms of the themes it that they were trying the to do. It was the
0: native medium for this piece. Whereas, we've liked a lot of the stuff that we've seen online lately, but the native medium for mm. it has not really appeared to be online. It's been a transposition, often a very skillful transposition. But this piece would suffer from being presented live.
1: I was wondering why it worked on this Zoom platform. I also think about how, you know when you have a conversation on Zoom with someone... And maybe like you don't want to get into an argument, like full blown argument with them. It tends to be you push it to a certain point, but it doesn't go into like we're gonna put down the phone right now. Like it felt like a like a conversation between people who generally agree with each other and then maybe this one sticking point that, you know, they disagree. But it doesn't go into full blown, full blown arguments, right? To me it felt like uh these are shades of the left of society who are talking about certain issues.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that was I think the biggest takeaway from the show for me was that all of these people are broadly speaking progressive. Not even broadly speaking. All of these people are are progressive. Fact. That may mean slightly different things in their societies. But if you gave them... A list of the standard questions, not necessarily the very provocative questions that mm. this play did ask in its polls, but if you the standard things by which you'd gauge somebody's political orientation, they would all basically end up in the same column. Mm. And yet they are all insisting on their individual agendas and they're all standing up to be counted in ways that differentiate them. And I think importantly, everybody is trying to make everybody else apologize or to blame them for their failings. And that's such an irritating liberal thing to do. And it's absolutely right. And the play captured it perfectly because obviously we've got Trump in power. We could go on about everything that's wrong with the world. Of course, people are angry at Trump and Trump supporters. Of course, they want to blame them. Of course, they want to get that apology and that sense of shame. But you can't shame the shameless. So then Mm -hmm. who can you shame? Unfortunately, only the people around you who basically believe in everything you believe in and are Mm. naturally your allies. So I thought that was very intelligently handled. But also, unlike civilized from TNS, was that last year, year before, last year? Anything before COVID seems like decades ago, doesn't it? (laughs) Whenever that was. That was so angry that it just felt like 4chan was screaming at you. Whereas Mm. this was... I guess more of a righteous assertiveness, which is strident, but not necessarily destructive. Mm. And yet, because of the way all these moving pieces fit together, you can see that the gears are grinding and that it's not a workable machine and that we need to find a way to talk to each other.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think it's... For me, that made the place stronger. The fact that you don't mm. have these polarizing views of, you know, the progressive versus the extreme right, because um, mm. all of those arguments are so rehearsed and so yeah. pointless. The idea is that there are these shades of grey and we realise that you just have to agree to disagree sometimes and that's exactly what a lot of the characters do because, you know, there are issues about pragmatism, etc., which, you know, you need to think about and that's what makes you as an audience member feel uncomfortable watching these things because these are probably issues that you have to grapple with in some way. It's not a clear-cut answer as Mm. to whether acting in a certain way or doing a certain thing is an outright display of racism and just the way in which privilege, um, you know, manifests itself across different societies. I mean, for me, for example, there was this idea of who is the oppressor and who is the oppressed. And, you know, it may be clear cut to you, but then when you have someone who is a Chinese-Singaporean upper middle class person who's sort of a righteous social justice warrior, but then she goes across to the US and she just says, oh, I'm nothing but a disenfranchised immigrant. (laughs) Um, You know, it kind of really makes you think when you see both sides of the equation, how is this idea of privilege played out?
1: I also like how they use Snapchat filters. I think I mm. hadn't really seen that in Zoom in a show until this one.
2: Mm. just the
1: idea of like what identities you put on and mm-hmm. you know who gets the freedom to put on a different identity when they travel out into like the world, for example, and yeah. who can't yeah
0: Yeah, I've been playing with that myself in a piece I'm making, but they used it so much better than I have. <laughs> I mean, really, mm-hmm. really, that was such a good scene. but I would have said probably not a scene that should be in this play.
1: You're talking about the scene that's at the end. The
0: scene, yeah, the one that at the end where we have three women, three women, and they each use Snapcam filters to change their appearance to a way that they feel they have to present to the world or to a way that they feel they are inside
1: yeah so we were talking about how for this one it felt like a almost like a reprieve from the arguments of the earlier part of the play and I think this play ran for like almost two hours Uh, and with this particular scene it kind of like slowed down and these women there's a sense of like they're choosing something that could represent them or they're talking about like hairstyles and you know complimenting each other and stuff and it was really really nice but it felt like a nice thing that I mean Matt you were saying that didn't quite belong in terms of the tonality of the the entire scene
0: I mean I wrote down on my notes, this scene is genius. But it was human and internal Mm. where the rest of the play was intellectual and political. And I don't think we'd suspected until that point that those characters had that kind of emotional nuance and complexity. And that makes it sound great. Oh, great. You get to see every side of them. But if we were going to see that Mm. side, I think we should probably have seen a bit more. Yeah. But then in terms of running time, you'd have had to sacrifice a lot of what makes the rest of the play good. So I just want to see that scene made into a whole other (laughs) play because it was great.
2: I just don't think it belonged. Yeah. yeah,
1: It and did seem like they had generated a lot of material from their mm. devising and this was probably one of it that they wanted to include into the whole thing.
2: Yes, yes. And I think you can't blame them because I think it was obviously quite a, a large group of creators um, mm. who put this together. There were two dramaturgs, I think, involved yes. as well. And just to touch on your point about the Snapchat filters, I think just in general, there was this amazingly creative use of technology across many different surfaces. Mm. So we have FaceTime calls, YouTube videos. Zoom calls, Instagram live Mm. streams, you know, basically all the ways in which we communicate with each other in this day and age that were embedded into this narrative. It wasn't just a kind of linear form of storytelling. Mm. And that's what made it perhaps so powerful because we're just seeing all these, you know, real life scenarios played out, but yeah. then played out with powerful and resonant political themes.
1: Yes, I remember there was one where um, you saw someone's desktop and then you saw her opening like a audio file and then play it. Do
2: you mm-hmm. remember? And then
1: it was like migrant workers interviews, I think, yes. something like that. So yeah, it just felt like, it wasn't just like playing with things around technology, you know what I mean? Like it really fit into the whole And also they,
0: they found a way to make it so theatrical. There's one yeah. scene where Sangeeta was playing a pseudo-PAP minister. And of course she's Indian, so she was defending the government against accusations of racism. And then we cut to this one Chinese guy like sagely nodding his head. And then he yeah. duplicates and fills up the screen with slightly mistimed images of himself giving this idea of this huge, silent majority of nodding, yes, blinking man. idiots. Yeah. And that's theatrical. You snapshot that scene and you're like, well, it's obviously not TV or film. Yeah, It is theatrical and they made it work.
1: Yeah, yeah. Th- That's Javon Chandra, by the way, the scenic and multimedia designer.
2: Excellent job. Yeah. And I think it's things like that that really show an understanding of using the medium of Zoom in the right way because obviously there were live scenes mainly between two or three characters, Mm -hmm. but then there were filmed ones presumably done beforehand. Um, A lot of the slightly more aesthetic um, backdrops and sinks and things like that. And this is, I think, a perfect example of Zoom being used as a fantastic medium to stage a full-fledged theatrical production. I think it's probably the best Zoom production yeah. I've seen.
0: And oddly enough,
2: I don't think the
0: liveness of the actors because some of it as you say yeah. was apparently done live. I don't think that helped because it's not like you're in the same space as them. You don't breathe the same air. You don't have that sense of the liveness that we get from theatre. I would have been fine with it being entirely pre-recorded. I actually think it might have slightly improved a quality. But those polls. Polls. I was just going to say. I could see you thinking polls. (laughs) The
2: most, In fact, I think the most powerful liveness of it was the fact that you know you're watching it with all these other people and you kind of want to know what they're thinking about these issues and you get that immediate response. It's like Mm. you're all implicated together and they've tapped on the whole idea of theatre and what makes it different from all the other mediums out there. There's that sense of a joint participation in something and that's exactly what they did with the poll. So I think it's a masterstroke. That and
0: the expanded aesthetics which take it beyond what is typically seen in TV and film. I think that's what theatre is when it's online and I think they Mm. nailed it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I feel like it really explored the possibilities of um, like international collaborations through Zoom as well. You know, I was thinking about how like when you bring a Singapore play overseas, there's all this like baggage mm. about like, oh, you know, what what would people get about Singapore? Yeah. What do we present? But this one was like, we were all kind of judging each other on the same ground, I yes. feel. like You know, so you could be thinking about how US is dealing with like this thing and how I think they dealt with like the idea of we could be looking at the same thing, but seeing it in, from like totally different perspectives yeah. like the yes. colorism and yes, yes. the bumi putras in malaysia
2: yeah if you put yourself in the perspective of uh, an audience member from this part of the world southeast asia versus someone from the us i think either one of those mm. people watching it would walk away with you know quite a strong and powerful sense of the issues even yeah. though certain things may resonate with them more and with strongly, having to think like, yep,
0: yeah. I'm probably just intellectually lazy, but most plays I don't have to think. I guess I've already decided on most of my ideas, but mm. this one...
1: But it comes with, like, when the play is made, right? So this one is, like, because it's made so immediate from, like, the things yeah. that are happening, things that happened, like, a few weeks ago would come out in this play, right? Absolutely so we haven't right. made our minds about certain things, and, yeah, yes. I think that's why.
0: And usually theatre is not nimble to respond to that.
1: Yeah.
2: So, All yeah, look, I think it, 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 was, it was very, very well-timed. It's great, and it's something which... I hope we can see more of. and mm. maybe this whole spate of online theatre making caused by the pandemic might just spur some of these yeah. you know digital collaborations.
1: It's definitely not a poor cousin of, you know, no, like live theatre. No, this theater.
2: is this it's is the definitely real deal. Not. Yeah. yeah. So Well then, let us move on.
0: So, who's got the notes for the next play because it's never me. It's Naeem. Naeem will tell us
2: about and there's and no
0: joke to lead up to this, yes, is there? Yes, and no. the next
2: play is called Two Songs and a Story. And this is an online video series by Checkpoint Theatre. It features five solo performances by five different artists who tell us a story through a monologue and also some song. Um, it's created and dramaturged by Huzir Sulaiman and co-directed by Huzir and Joel Lim. And yeah, so this series basically, there's sort of five distinct performances, each about 15 to 20 minutes long. And I think in general, there's this theme about healing, moving ahead, Mm. forging one's own identity, confronting the world on, on one's own terms. And I would say that I think apart from one, which is Joe Tan's piece, which is quite obviously fictitious. I think yeah. everything else was quite autobiographical in some way. Or presented uh, that We presented, don't know, but presented, presented that in, that, way. in that way. And it's very much an intimate confessional way. It's filmed and you just see no one else but that one performer telling you um, their story. So what did you think, Nabila, what stood out for you?
1: I think what stood out for me were the ones where I felt like the songs and the story almost like merged and it didn't mm. feel like two separate things yeah. which is fine but I just like the ones where it was a bit more seamless so um, the one by Inch Chua who's a musician but increasingly going into theatre with yeah. I think she's done some other things as yes, well Yes. so her one was Super Q, Super Q. which we learn is a kind a of lethal a very disinfectant strong, Yes. very very strong cleaner yeah. so apparently in the early part of this year especially during the circuit breaker time she had been working in i think sanitation in workers dorm so she actually brought us through like what it was like being there and kind of like herself discovering this like horrors that are happening like really in the fringes of our community and i think for this one because inch i feel like she has this like girlish uh, quality to her and when it contrasted with some of the um who does she parody or who does she imitate? I think like a... Oh, oh the a superintendent. The, super, yeah. the superintendent
2: who's quite coarse and abrasive. Super and,
1: coarse. I mean, she, yeah. she actually swears and um, and how racist things can be then and, and the things that she witnessed. Yeah. Um, I think there was one uh, reference to the lockers outside of the hut or something, yes. right? Yeah. Where The yeah. um,
0: realisation that the foreign workers had been locked into their living environment. Yeah. And, and it was presented just as a flat statement that echoed so hard.
1: Yeah, and so I think the way that she was telling the story was very, I
2: almost thought it was like spoken word, poetic. I, I think right? so too. It was very, very lyrical, yes. Um, just the way in which she was taking us through. And I mean, look, and I think there were bits about her performance which I think did not work as well. Like I thought some of the song sequences really were a little bit too mm-hmm. overwrought. But I think overall at the heart, that story was incredibly powerful mm-hmm. yeah. Um, because it just, shows you as you said a snapshot of some of the people living at the fringes of our consciousness yeah. you know these foreign workers in i think there was this line saying that the location was so far it was almost as if they were trying to hide these places or worse still people mm-hmm. you know that sort of thing um who are these people who are being hid away and and how do we deal with that and It was just quite powerful being taken through that episode. And what I liked about it was also it wasn't just a linear form of storytelling. You could see the pace quickening as she took us through. And she kind of navigates all these emotions of like anger, frustration, bewilderment. And the music and the orchestration. Until she finally gets back home with her cats and, you know, life is finally back to normal. But we get that entire kind of roller coaster of emotions across a day. Yeah. And it made for quite a strong. Yeah.
0: And at the scene. heart of it, where that roller coaster is really throwing you around, it was such a fantastic piece. I mean, the yeah. signature moment for me is that A, is the one you mentioned, the lock was outside the door. Yeah. But B, there's the one where she takes on the persona of whatever this supervisor character yes. is. And he's talking to the foreign talking. No, he's shouting, he's shouting at shouting. the foreign workers, nay, nay, ah, nay, come, ah. Yeah. And then, you know, she's saying, Sir, sir, do you feel all right? And that horrible contrast, and yet she yeah. can't reach out to him
2: because she's in a hazmat suit. Yes. Just oh <laughs> no words. And and yeah. I think I think I would be right in saying that of all the five shows, Inches was the one where I could very vividly picture what was going on. Mm. I could picture her in that suit with the PPE and being a Mm. living alien-like figure, you know, Mm. terrifying all these poor, scared foreign workers and, you know, that experience of being trapped inside this suit and wanting to reach out to another human being but somehow Mm. not being able to. It was just so powerful and all those images played in my mind whereas for a lot of the other stories, they were a little bit more anecdotal, mm. a little bit more reflective. Not to say that they weren't powerful, but it was a little bit more of mm. letting them tell you their story and let it wash over you whereas yeah. this really took you through yeah. the, the experience. I mean,
1: So I mean like with this one, with this whole piece I felt that it's about like where the artist wanted us to meet them at. So with Inches one, I felt like it was very like immersive. Yeah. Immersive, is, right? Yes, immersive. Absolutely. And then maybe if we contrast it with um, Rebecca Sangita Dorai, where she's Talking about some traumas that have happened in her life, like as a child, and then with relationships, where it sounds like a personal story, but for that one, for some reason, she made the choice of like not quite revealing like that much detail. Surprisingly,
0: yes, uh, that was irritating for me, I must admit, because there were two that were like that. There was hers, and there was Aunt Chua who started the set of five. Yeah, and if you really don't want to fill us in on the gory details of what happened that's what fiction's for but both of those to me felt like they weren't told by the person who experienced them in flesh and blood but they were like oh yeah my hairdresser's cousin's friend's dog told me this story that maybe happened to someone else some other time so i don't have the details so i can't fill you in but i've got the broad framework and if that's the case, then why do something confessional?
1: I think, I think it's a choice, right? It's like whether sometimes you haven't quite figured out maybe how you feel. Um, so maybe you don't want to bring us into that, perhaps. Because I felt a little bit like that with Anne's Choir. Maybe mm. they felt a bit uncomfortable about certain parts of it. So what they showed us was only like the bare surface of the but story. That's not felt.
2: interesting. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the issue I just didn't feel I got into those stories and I think you mentioned Sangeeta's piece Mm. about which which was very beautifully presented her song sequences (laughs) were practically a music video where she's in this gown and very glamorous and everything Um, and you know yes she had trauma she talks about i think a bad relationship some childhood traumas her father being taken to the police and things like that and it's kind of affected how she has been able to carry herself and Mm -hmm. and and move on with life but at the end of the day she doesn't want to tell us anymore and reveal anymore and it's Mm -hmm. just like you know i'm just gonna live life on my own terms so you feel like she wants to let us in but then yeah. You let us into the box and there's nothing in that yeah, box. Yeah, yeah, it's a very pretty, yeah. nicely wrapped, defined, nice, defined, beautifully wrapped. And that's exactly how I felt about ants as well. Contrasting
0: with those two, but also very similar, was Weish's piece, which came at the end. And I mean, you said that Sangeeta's piece was about trauma. And yes, it was. But Weish's was about the relived experience of mm. trauma based on an event and she gave us no context about that event either and didn't yeah. give us the details of what happened yes. but that wasn't the point that's behind a load of police tape you know no one's getting near that event and so she made it work I think because yes. and and she used looping so mm. if you're not familiar with a looper I say I'm like, <laughs> maybe I'll do a bit now maybe I'll do a bit now maybe and then I'll it loops like now. that and, and then I've then just given myself like some random and work to do with sound, like sound <laughs> afterwards. Why did I do this? Oh, well, you know what I mean. And so she built up these layers which were a, an artistic representation of the trauma, things yeah. that can't let go, or but get muddier and more complex and just control you. And so she found a way to make that contextlessness, the empty box mm. work, because you're in that box and it's echoing and it's horrible and you can't get out.
1: Yeah, I think the echoes actually is what really draws us in because you hear like every breath and like, you know, how she, I mean, she actually cries in the piece is one, but you hear all the pauses and the way that it was shot as well was like super in your face. Very and So you so. saw all the ticks and so I feel even though she didn't actually say the words of it, like you really felt... The emotion of it.
2: Oh, that was. I think it was probably the most hard hitting, and I think yeah. that was probably why I think it was left till the end because you sort of feel like I a, want. You need a break. After I want that, right? ice cream and a hug yeah, yeah, yeah. after watching yeah. this, yeah. Um, because it is really quite quite powerful emotionally. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's just beautiful the way in which her her music and as Matt was saying, you know, this kind of electronic use of loops and everything is embedded into the story. It's mm-hmm. this overlapping world of words which swim around your head, you know, trauma, As we were saying with Who's map.
0: There, it's just the perfect artistic mm. representation
2: of the content. Exactly. So it yeah. just worked together so powerfully in a way which I think some of the other pieces yeah. maybe didn't quite do
1: yeah I mean just to defend slightly Sangeeta I feel it's like it felt like a documentary of a really glamorous like diva or like a really glamorous like superstar where oh and they, they're
0: always a bit guarded yes
1: they're always a bit guarded and you know they're trying to protect themselves from something that's happened and they've already moved on or at least that's what they say right? and the
0: PR guy is in the background saying no don't <laughs> yeah. ask that question yeah so it
1: felt yeah. a little bit like that like in, yeah, right. in the removal of us as the audience but then of course when she sings she is transcendent and I did feel quite moved by her performance. As, uh, when she was singing
2: she did and I think hers was if I'm not mistaken the only piece where her interview and the story was quite distinct from her songs which were I think in resplendent gown yes. and colour right. and then the interview was sort of black, black and, and white, white two separate yes. two separate aspects so maybe someone who compartmentalises yes. her life she a little bit like more um, and you don't get access to every aspect of yeah. it and that's just the way she wants to present herself and then kind of right in the middle of these five pieces is Joe Tans. And, you know, <laughs> Joe has, again, done fantastic work throughout this year and a lot mm. in this Yeah, digital she's one COVID, basically, basically right? She's <laughs> basically yeah. like the COVID actress. And we spoke about her her one-woman show, King, in mm. the last episode. Mm. And here she does a story that's kind of a little bit of a continuation of the same kind of character, this slightly diminished individual called bit One who kind of spends her time watching her favorite Japanese anime every single day and doesn't really have much interest in doing anything else in her life. And her name mm-hmm. is almost like a calling card for the way in which she conducts herself, like a little bit of this, a little bit yeah, of that. Yeah. Um, so it was just very, very well done. And you have mm-hmm. all the trademark Jotan traits Begums. of, you know, fantastic year for dialogue and great mm-hmm. accents. She plays the mother, the boss, you know, the dubbed anime character. But it's just also a kind of celebration of quietly enjoying moments on your own terms and not mm-hmm. necessarily having to conform to what life expects of you. And I kind yeah. of enjoyed that. It's like
1: um, the rich inner lives of like this introvert in the office that people yeah. think of is weird, right?
2: Essentially. Well, you say that, but
0: was the inner life rich? It was, colorful. it was colourful. It was very colourful. Yeah. Colourful, but rich. <laughs> okay, now And yeah. I, I agree because it was a celebration of that, yeah. but it didn't leave me thinking, power to you, you know, yeah, yes. everybody should. Agree. It left me thinking, yes, you've reconciled yourself. <laughs> is it the best life you could live? Maybe not, but right. it is the life you're living. And I, I appreciate that you've embraced that.
2: I think the only thing about Joe, and I think this again, speculation, maybe why it was kind of put right in the middle, was mm-hmm. that tonally that piece just yeah. did not sit with the others. Because this was obviously the only very overtly fictitious piece, mm-hmm. very nicely packaged in its own right, it felt like a commercial break. Well, that's right? And what we I say that earlier, in the right? best possible way, but yeah. it felt like a commercial it's break. It's the commercial that you don't skip. It's the commercial that you don't skip. <laughs> and it comes with an anime sequence, which <laughs> Joe stars in, and it's hilarious and beautifully... Presented and you know, you look, Mm -hmm. it makes you smile. Yeah, it does.
1: And I think it's the only one that uses green screen, right? And um, I don't know, Matt, if you want to talk about something about the technical parts of it, because there's one part where she gets a drink from someone's hand. And, yes and then i, and oh, I, was just I don't like, remember that oh you don't
0: sorry oh, no okay. but yeah they did a green screen thing and maybe she was either she was walking on a spot or they put her on a treadmill and filmed her but mm-hmm. yeah it was very smooth and very professional that, she's that got a really sequence. good lighting setup because the green screen was the keying was clean yes yes the opening sequence
2: nice. i think i really yeah, liked I really where like she that. wakes up in from her pajamas brushes <laughs> her teeth gets her coffee and comes into the office and it's super seamless, and yeah. yeah, so she doesn't move, but the background
0: the behind background her changes. indicates that she is doing so and slipping yeah, between yeah, locations. Yeah.
2: Very well done and entertaining to watch. Very much Very so, yeah,
1: yeah. So I don't know why, but I didn't realize until like doing the research for this that she wrote that Japanese theme song. I mean, essentially, they all yeah. wrote their own songs, yeah, right? They wrote their own so songs. she wrote that Japanese. Oh, I assume she did. It just sounded like an actual anime. You know, yeah. it was that good. Like, that's what I thought. It was actually believable that it, yes, it was, was it an was,
2: anime. I
0: mean, I don't speak Japanese, so from it the was, lyrics, was, I don't was. know. But yeah, it, right. it was credibly in, in style, yeah.
2: What were your thoughts about the way in which these five pieces were directed or presented? Because they were obviously mm. all pre-recorded, all filmed. Yeah. Um, we spoke about the content, yeah. but just in terms of how they were... F-
1: I mean, okay. So presented. for for me, I watched it twice. I think Naimi watched, it, watched twice it twice as, as well. well. And for me, it's also because like it's my own personal thing with music, where you know music tends to wash over me quite easily, and I get lost in it. So I, I had to watch an, it another time to really look at storytelling and things like that. I think the general sense of it is that it was very beautifully shot and like Mm -hmm. lovingly, I felt that was like lovingly shot because each one was done and had different treatment from each other. Yeah, the the sound recording and treatment,
0: the lighting, beautiful soft light, the slow camera pushes. It was, I'm impressed by how quickly theatre has learned to do this (laughs) because we've never really had to do it that much before, right? But no, it's really good.
1: It's something to be said about Checkpoints, like what they're doing this year, right? It's kind of like a pivot. Uh, because of Covid.
0: Um. Yeah.
2: I think so and it's been an interesting year for Checkpoint because their first big production of the year was Lucas Ho's The Heart Comes to Mind which was supposed to be staged for the Esplanade Studios in March mm. but then Covid happened and all those shows got cancelled but they managed to reinvent it as um, an audio performance, a sound mm. recording and that play was also interesting because I think they mentioned how music was the third character mm. they had, um, was it a cellist um, yeah. who accompanied the Actors. It was just two actors, a father and a daughter, as they performed, and that kind of yeah. The uh, soundscape for that one is really good. The soundscape was yeah. very powerful, and obviously, this is not the first play where music has played yeah. a key role in in the plays. There was thick beats for Good Girls with Pooja Nancy and Jessica Bellamy a couple of years ago about hip hop and mm. you know um, two women and how it was an extension of their lives. So you know, yeah, maybe they're kind of also trying to establish themselves as not necessarily a company bounded by mm. traditional theatre, but just telling stories across different platforms
1: that's great so it was very much like story centric or kind of like story forward so um i I think we we were talking earlier about how like it could do with trimming some a lot of the stories
0: we've said so many nice things so i guess we should say some mean ones no we don't but checkpoint (laughs) just and huzia especially i think does a great job most of the time in getting artists to say what they need mm. to say and really putting it on the page, um, we saw that in Wache's piece, we saw it in Inch's piece. But where is the? You know, if you right-click, there's cut. Cut is in your menu, and you need to use it because every piece there was just just had bits that you didn't need. Mm. And unfortunately, I think the worst example of it was one of the strongest pieces, which was Inch's, Inch. because the middle is amazing and I didn't realize for about 15 minutes that it was amazing because I hated the start so much. I was at home with my cats and you were saying it sounded a bit like spoken word poetry, right? It is, yeah. It
2: was the tweest, most sentimental (laughs) nonsense of spoken word poetry. I mean, I didn't need to know about her waiting for the bus. You know, there, there were certain bits that I felt Overwrought. It just felt yeah. like get to the meat of it, and when she did, I was like blown away. Oh, when away. she did, it was amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. But it's such a simple thing. On the base level, just
0: cut these stodgy bookended bits that you have and leave the middle. I don't think that's the best version. I think you take a little bit of the start and the end Mm. and you weave it through intelligently so that you build in the contrast. I see that they're trying to do the contrast there, but that's just not good enough in terms of the dramaturgy. Mm. And all the pieces, including the really, really successful ones, had bits where you're like, okay, go on, go on, go on. Okay, you got there. Simple cuts would make it so much better. But Checkpoint is resistant to doing that.
1: I think, especially for an online piece, it's a bit dangerous when you do that because people can skip and decide not to watch, come back and watch it, you know? Yeah, you pause um, it,
0: go off, have a coffee, come back, you've forgotten what you're
1: doing. Some discipline needs to be exercised with, especially, I think, online formats where people can skip and, you know, just. Yeah,
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's something I found, again, from all the checkpoint shows I've seen. It's always needed a little bit tighter. Mm. Editing Mm. overall. There's there's great material, but then there's sometimes just too much of it Mm. and that can overwhelm what's actually really good. Yeah. So it's very yeah,
1: it's very artist centric, I have to say. Um, but maybe not quite audience centric, I suppose. Yeah, we
0: had this debate before, didn't we? Well not debate. We have talked about it. Yeah, we talked about it before. It's and it's I don't see it changing, Mm. but I'm gonna complain about it every single (laughs) time. So but
1: they're going to make it pretty while it's happening. So yeah. Yeah.
2: And being Checkpoint, it's always going to be very aesthetically pleasing. And that's exactly mm. what it was. It was it was really beautifully filmed. Um, I don't see how this would not be equally at home, you know, as a television show, yeah. for example.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, I spend a stupid amount of my day watching, like, how to make your footage look cinematic. And yet they, they did. really Absolutely. did. It yeah. was yeah. filmed to the highest standard.
1: And in terms of like all the things that we've been watching, I felt that like it was a nice refreshing kind of like format and, and yeah. take on kind of like the offerings that companies are doing right now. So. Yes,
0: absolutely. So we managed a show where we said like 90% good <laughs> things. When has this ever happened before? We're nice. Yeah? No, okay, you're <laughs> nice. All right. Let me rephrase this. I managed a show where I said about 90% good things. So there is hope for the future. Shall we end it there? Yeah. All yes. right. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.